Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today is a, one of those episodes that is probably the first one that I'm going to do where we're talking about twin brothers, identical twin brothers doing everything together at the same time. I mean, you name it. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, this story. Uh, before, before actually going into it, and just for you, that, for you all that you haven't seen it, uh, last week my latest book came out called Selling Your Startup. Over 20 founders that have sold their companies for over 500 million each, and even over a billion are getting behind it. Uh, it's basically a roadmap to really help you understand how you really get to the exit, to that uh, end goal, to the finish line. And I don't think that this book is for people that are already thinking about that MA process, because I think that the way that you think about the beginning needs to also come with the end. And especially when you're thinking about raising money, money in comes with expectations of money out with returns. So that's really the purpose of this book, which is to really take you through that journey. I mean, when I got my last company acquired and I was trying to get educated, nothing was really out there to guide me in that process. So this is really, you know, something, a tool and a guide to help you in that regard. So, so with that being said, you know, today's guest, you know, I find that, you know, it's going to be really an incredible conversation. He's been there. He's done it multiple times, build, scale, finance, uh, got his companies acquired, you name it. So I guess that without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Swapnil Shinde. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Super excited to be here. So tell us, you're originally from India, uh, from from Pune. Is that right? Yeah. So we, we were born in Pune. Then we were raised up in Nasik, did our schooling from there, then came back to Pune to do our bachelor's in computer science again. And I'm sure that, you know, there where you were born, I mean, you and your twin, identical twin brother, you know, were like the, 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 the most popular people in town. I'm sure there was not a lot of identical <laughs> twins there. Yeah, I think twins always have the, the advantage of uh, getting noticed very easily. So, so I think that, that, that comes uh, as a part of being twins. You, you get some attention automatically. Now, tell me the truth. Did you guys like swap each other for taking exams back in high school or going on dates and stuff like that or not? <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not going on, on uh, dates, but we did have scenarios where uh, like his manager saw me 
walking around the campus and she was shocked she was like you were supposed to be in a meeting right now there are like 10 people in that meeting and you're roaming outside i was like i am not snehal i am his identical twin brother swapnil <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's so amazing so so in your case i mean obviously you know the two of you got really into into computer science so what do you think what do you think triggered that because obviously i know that you know there in india i guess that the culture really pushes you for education and for getting like a top degree But in this case, it was the two of you doing, you know, really following the same course, the same path. So why computer science out of all things? Yeah, I think the the, the credit goes to our um, mom who was into computers when we were growing up. She she ran her own computer academy. She knew like 20, 25 languages. So we started playing with computers uh, in, in our fifth or sixth grade. I still remember when we were in our sixth grade, we wrote our first program uh, and and built a game to entertain ourselves. So that is where our love for programming really started, and it just kept building from there. So then, let's talk about the um, you know, for you guys, right after getting the degree, you land in IBM. I mean, what was that you know, a process of being in 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 an American company, but really? you know, a company that would lead you or that would be your segue into coming here to the U.S. as well. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we actually, uh, both of us uh, graduated from a, a, a very famous college in Pune called Government College of Engineering. And uh, I, th- I think the students there were very sought after by all these big companies who had big offices in, in Pune and other parts of India. So IBM came for their campus interviews uh, to our college and I was one of the the 10 people who were selected and that is how I landed up in IBM. But yeah, it it, it was a pretty big brand uh, that time and uh, had a lot of, I think, aura around it. So we were all pretty excited to be working at IBM Software Labs. And one thing that is uh, really remarkable, you know, out of, out of the story that we're going to go through is that, you know, it's a... You guys, you and your brother, your twin brother, you went to do the same thing, worked for the same companies at the same time, build the same companies at the same time, everything together. What do you think was the trigger of of the two of you having such a special bond? I think Snehal just keeps following me. I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing because as I was saying, Sharing with you, I mean, I, I have twin daughters too, and it's and they are identical as well. And and it's like super strange because if one gets sick, then the other one gets sick. If one gets a cavity on one side of the mouth, the other one gets the exact same cavity in wow. the same location. I mean, it's like mind blowing. I mean, what was that for you guys? I mean, did you experience like some like crazy stuff like that, or or what? What do you think developed that one? I, I do believe there is kind of that invisible bond, I think, even genetically between twins, like for both of us, I think our personalities to some extent are pretty similar. We we are good at the same things. Uh, we have the same, I would say, choice and the likings and the inclinations. Both of, both of us love to paint because our mom was an artist. So we, we started painting at the age of three or four. So even till today, we do paintings and, and sketches and stuff like that. We like the same sports. We... Uh, our, our technically, we were both equally strong. Then both of us took product roles. And uh, I think even in our startups, you can interchange our roles and, and nothing nothing will go wrong. So I think we are pretty similar to each other when it comes to our personalities. The only difference is that maybe I smile a lot more than he does. But yeah. 
That's amazing. You know, my, my twin girls, for example, they're very similar, but also very different when it comes to personality. So one is, you know, maybe like the more outgoing, the more the bigger character. The other one is more high emotional IQ. I think that in, in your guys' case, like, how would you say that you are different, like personality-wise, personality or why do you think that you blend so well together and make such a good team? Yeah, I think we complement each other when it comes to our skill sets big time. And uh, if you look at our personalities, like our mom always used to tell us that I, I was kind of the naughty one and Snehal was the more sincere one. And I, I always had this like easy go, lucky kind of an attitude, whereas Snehal was uh, used to take things a bit more seriously. Even in, even in our studies, he used to uh, sometimes be a bit more stressed than I was. And I was like always taking it easy. But yeah, apart from that, when it comes to our skill sets, it's like in like the way we build all these three startups is that we kind of divide and rule. So if I'm looking at something, uh, Snell doesn't need to worry about it. And similarly, if he's looking at into something, I don't need to worry about it. So I think that is huge because as co-founders, that actually uh, you can balance the weight on both sides and can run faster. So, so in your case. You did. I mean, obviously, you went. You went to do your 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 degree there in in Southern California, and then after that, you did a little bit of um, jumping. You know, from you know, you 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 started like doing IBM, then you went to Semantic, and then you ended up in Yahoo. And Yahoo was kind of like the the lead way, you know, for you guys to really start your your first company together. So, can you tell us about like what were the sequence of events that really helped in in really bringing that first initiative to life? After USC, uh, both of us were at Semantic Norton Antivirus. We were there for like almost three years. Then we always knew that we wanted to build a startup and building a startup. I mean, the best location was Silicon Valley and we were in Los Angeles then. So we wanted to move to Silicon Valley so that we can network with the right folks and uh, kind of be in the community that is thriving with startups. So Snehal initially found a job at Yahoo. Then he moved to Yahoo. He worked there for six months. He loved it. And he then referred me to another opportunity. And then I got interviewed. Uh, I got into Yahoo as well. But that is when I think, and even like Yahoo as a company used to prefer people joining them who used to have some entrepreneurial mindset, who used to tie around with projects or side projects or during their weekends, etc. So that worked in our favor when, when joining Yahoo. But that is where for the first time we saw what scale was. Like I was driving the, the vision for web performance optimization products and we were building tools that could render web pages in less than one second. And the scale that we were building these tools for was more than 100 million consumers. And Snehal was driving product management for a lot of Yahoo properties like Yahoo Movies, Yahoo News, Yahoo Front Page, Yahoo Mail, etc. So if you look at our skill sets, they were very complementary and were focused on building platforms that could scale to more than 100 million consumers. And then how do you personalize at that scale? How do you build a product that can morph itself into something that the consumer really wants, loves and engages with? So Yahoo gets all the credit for giving us that experience, giving us that, that know-how. And we then use that to build Dhingana, which was like a Spotify for Indian music. And we scaled it immensely to almost like, I think, around 10 million consumers used to listen to Dhingana every single month from more than 100 countries around the world. And it entire, uh, I would say, user base was organic. It was all based on word of mouth. And it became the biggest Indian music streaming service. And 
RDO wanted to enter India. So that is when they acquired us at the start of, I think, 2014. How much did it take from, you know, the the point where you came up with the idea to the point that the company, you know, got acquired? I mean, what was the entire time frame? Yeah, we actually thought about the the idea when we started working at Semantic because we were both big fans of Bollywood music and we couldn't find a way to listen to Bollywood music easily that time because there was there were no streaming services. So what we did is that we we uh, hosted a server in our own bedroom. We put some songs in there and we started listening to those songs from our office. So that is how the idea was born. And then we worked on licenses. We basically started moonlighting on that idea. And before we knew it, in the next two years, we had a million users listening to our, our service. And that is when we decided that I think it's time for us to, to uh, raise some funding. So we raised our first round when we already had a million consumers listening to music. How much money was did you guys raise prior to the acquisition? Uh, total, I think around, we, we raised our Series A, which was at that point 1.2 million. And then we raised our Series B, which was like 7 million. And post that, we got acquired. And was it tough for you guys to raise money? I mean, especially for, for people that are coming, you know, from a different country. I mean, I'm a foreigner too. And, you know, it's coming to a new country, you know, different people, different way of thinking, different culture. I mean, was it tough that, that whole adjustment and raising money and, and, and all of that stuff? So for us uh, to raise money wasn't a problem because we had done a lot of hard work. We, we went to VCs when we already had a million consumers using the product. So we had the product market fit. VCs could see the scale. They could see the growth over the last two years. So our first round was oversubscribed. Uh, the same thing happened with our second round as well. And when we were trying to raise our third round, we had like four or five uh, acquisition offers. So then tell us about the actual process. How did it go from beginning all the way to end, the M&A process? Because, I mean, an M&A process is definitely like 100 times tougher than raising money. So how was it for you? Because, I mean, I think that this culminates a fantastic, you know, uh, journey already with your first company, which was about three years from beginning to end. Uh, but I guess this also gives you full visibility into the full cycle, no? that, that it can be done. So, yeah. I mean, how, how was that M&A process for you guys? The, the entire process from start to end, yeah. I, think, I think it was super rewarding, irrespective, I think, irrespective of the outcome, the, the whole feeling that you built a service, a platform, a team that could scale and be loved by more than 10 million consumers and, and all of them use Dhingana pretty much daily, weekly. I think that whole feeling of building something that could touch so many lives and so many consumers was uh, extremely rewarding for us. And then when we got acquired, we, we looked at three or four potential uh, partners who were interested in, in acquiring us. Some of them were local in India. Some of them were here in the US. And we were lucky that RDO was interested in acquiring Dhingana because RDO had the same philosophy like Dhingana. They, it was a very product-focused company. They had a cult following in, in Silicon Valley. It was started by the Skype co-founders. We love the, the CEO, the executive team, the, the chief of product, the president there. Our visions aligned a lot and the, the acquisition went super smooth. Even after acquisition, like I, I became the VP for product initiatives across all international markets. So I helped launch RDO in 35 countries around the world. Snehal became wow. the VP of emerging market and India and all countries around India were reporting into it. 
So I think that time we learned how to build and scale businesses globally. And that was super rewarding for us. That is, that is something uh, we did for the first time. So here with Ardio, you were there for, for almost two years, uh, right? From beginning to end. And, and I guess, you know, people call it the vesting and resting. You know, I'm not sure, you know, there was a lot of resting given what you were sharing now, but, but definitely the vesting. Uh, and, and, and it's interesting because the second company, you decide to do it again with your brother. So, uh, so at what point do you guys, you know, realize that it is that time, you know, for you? Because as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. And in this case, you already had seen the full cycle. You already knew that it was possible and what that journey looked like. So at what point, you know, that's the idea of Messi, you know, come knocking on your door? Because again, you know, here we're talking, I mean, you've done now, and we'll talk about your latest baby, but you've done three companies, all three in completely different segments. Uh, and, and, and here you are, you know, looking at launching another company in a completely different segment. So tell us what was that incubation process and what were the sequence of events towards bringing it to life? Sure. So I think uh, you, you bring up an interesting question that all three companies are in, in very different segments. And uh, we believe that if we have lived a pain point ourselves and if we want a solution for it, that is probably the best uh, way for us to think about starting a company. We started our first company because we were Bollywood music fans and we couldn't find an easy way to listen to music. So we kind of solved our own problem. And uh, it happened that several of the millions of other people had the same problem and th that product basically took off. In our second company, the, the experience was pretty similar. One day, we, we used to go to San Francisco to work at RDO and one day when Snehan's wife came to pick him up and they were driving back, uh, she was like, hey, can you order this? Hey, can you order that? Because she was driving and he was just sitting there. So I was like, oh man, now I have to do all this work. I wish there was someone whom I could tell that, hey, please go plan my travel. Hey, please order this for me. So that concierge was missing. And then when Snehal came back, me and him were discussing it and we thought that, wait, all of us are going to live an extremely busy life. And it would be amazing if all of us would have a concierge who has our back and simplifies our life on a daily basis. And hopefully if that person does that, then that person can help us transform our life in a, in, in a better way. And we thought that the best way to launch this concierge service would be to help people complete their shopping activities. And we wanted to focus on shopping initially because that includes commerce instead of doing things which are uh, which doesn't in include payments, etc. But what and, and when we launched it, we were carefully looking at the data in the first three to six months. And to our surprise, we saw that in the first six months, people who bought travel from us, they came back and bought something else in the next 30 days. People who spent on travel spent at least $1,000 on each transaction versus fashion where they were just spending like less than $100. So we realized very early on that, hey, if we just double down on travel and make that our key vertical, I think this can go a long way. And that is when we started building AI, which was vertically focused on travel. It was focused on helping people plan and book their flights, hotels, and all the sightseeing activities when they're traveling. And then the next phase came that we saw that people who are traveling for business used Mezzi every, every single month versus those who were traveling for leisure. They used to use us like once or twice a year. So that is when we realized that, hey, let's focus on business travelers and just go all in on business. And then Maisie basically transformed into this travel assistant for business people. And then we partnered with American Express. They were like, this platform is amazing. We uh, 
and as you might know that platinum concierge is one of the best concierge and it focuses on helping people plan and book their travel so for amex mezi was a great partner to start with but once they saw the engagement that mezi was driving for their card members they were like we want to own this mm. that's very interesting because what was this, especially for the people that are that are listening what was the business model of mezi how how are you guys making money there Yeah, so we we were basically licensing that platform to business uh, partners like American Express, a lot of travel management companies, and the way it worked was the platform was completely white label for them. So for Amex, they were now providing a chat-based concierge to their card members. Their card members will would come in the app, ch- chat with the travel expert, and that travel expert would plan and book their entire travel over a simple messaging interface. but the beauty of the experience was that 80 70 to 80% of the time the whole experience was powered by artificial intelligence so card members actually thought that they were tra- talking to a real human but the ai that we built was so realistic and so real time that it just gave a, a perception that a human was chatting with them which means that the whole whole experience can be highly scalable compared to just using humans on the other side and typically when 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 one of those companies they think about buying out you know another company i mean it's it's like the buy versus build you know type of type of question you know whether it makes more sense to just build it themselves internally or to actually buy out that company because it makes sense from a speed or or whatever you know kind of impact that's going to have but in this case i mean messi was just a two year old company i mean it sounds incredible i mean it was it was reported by the press that the acquisition of us 150 million in cash so i mean that level of money for a company that is so young why wouldn't have a amex you know just build that internally yeah the the dna to build ai powered platforms i think uh, first of all amex is a financial services company it's like it was i think you, you, even if you compare amex to other credit card companies it's a bit i would say forward looking when it comes to technology but what we brought to the table was a team that was extremely focused on building ai powered human assisted platforms it was in our dna we were living it every single day we built a product partnered with amex and they saw firsthand for the next i would say 6 uh, to 8 months of how it was performing with their customers so when they decided to acquire us they they just didn't uh, do it based on an idea or a pitch they actually saw the partnership working wonders for them their customers were loving the experience and they clearly saw that if we scale this to 40 50 100 million card members this can save them millions of dollars every single month and they won't need to keep hiring all those finance concierge and and experts internally and then there was also an opportunity to extend mezi beyond travel into servicing and other parts which has already happened at amex today so if you go to the american express app and click on the chat icon inside it that entire experience is powered by mezi you actually see mezi ins- inside the amex app which is phenomenal that's incredible what, what an impact i mean and, and and also one of the best acquisitions that they've done to date is that right yes yes they they frequently talk about it like that it's super happy everyone is super happy about the acquisition so in this case i mean you were alluding to it you guys were uh, having that partnership for about 6 to 8 months and then all of a sudden they realize that it's better for them to just on this thing. So, how did the conversation, you know, transition into that type of approach? Yeah, so they they met us uh, the, the key executives from New York they flew down to uh, Silicon Valley here 
in our offices and we met over dinner and they that is when for the first time they uh, expressed their interest of uh, acquiring mezi and for us i mean we mezi was working out so well that time that there were so many investors who wanted to lead our next round like literally investors were throwing out valuation numbers over a 15 minute call even before we were ready to pitch them that hey come raise your next round with us so i think we had that opportunity on one side that where we could keep building mezi into a much bigger platform and scale it but on the other side we genuinely saw that because we had worked with that same executive team and and and, and their extended team at mx for the last 8 8 months or so we knew exactly what our future might look like if we were part of that team and we believe that those executives would give us all the i would say liberty and the freedom to build mezi the way we want to so and and because of their focus on travel we knew that with that amex partnership we could actually scale mezi 1000x in the next 12 months versus doing it ourselves so there was a clear i would say uh, fit between both the companies and that made it a no brainer for us so so the transaction happens uh, obviously you know i'm sure that uh, you had quite a big of a celebration you know because it's it's an amazing you know outcome in just 2 years alone and then you transition you know to really work on the integration uh and uh, and then you know here you go again you know with with my god your conversations with your twin eh, identical twin brother you know are dangerous here you go with the next <laughs> business and the next business is seni so so tell us about seni i mean why i mean at this point you you guys were already you know two companies two successful exits i don't know doing it again you know it's a uh, tell us about this Yeah so this actually idea came up when i was uh, walking with uh, one of my best friends mangesh on a beach in goa and i think we were there for an offsite if i'm not wrong and while walking on the beach i was like again thinking about the problems that we have faced while building these two previous startups and there were two problems that i thought about one was legal and one was finance like every startup needs to outsource their legal to a legal team who will then charge them a lot of dollars and uh, the experience is very manual on the other side there was this finance experience where we saw repeatedly ourselves in in the last 10 12 years of building startups like every time you want to build and start a company there are so many different finance functions that you need to worry about like you yourself might see it in in your own business that you will need a uh, to hire an accountant or a bookkeeper to manage your books who will then use quickbooks online to do your books then you will need someone to manage your bill payments and invoicing you might need a temporary cfo to work on your financial projections you will need a cpa to file your taxes at the end of the year the list goes on and on you will need to handle employee reimbursements so you quickly realize that as you start scaling your company there are all these different finance people that you need to hire who will then use all the different finance tools to manage your finances it becomes extremely complex fragmented human intensive and slow and you don't have any idea or insights into your finances until the month ends which is when your accountant start working on your books then they take 2 to 3 weeks to close your books and present you with excels as an output for your pnl balance sheet and cash flow so as a founder we felt that we were always flying blind and no matter whether we work with part time bookkeepers accountants or we outsource it to a finance from the experience was the same and because we had successfully built an ai powered human assisted platform before in the in the travel vertical we thought that if we just take that blueprint applied it to the finance vertical replace the travel experts by finance experts 
and create an experience that is 10x faster, then I think we can really impact businesses, startups around the world by building a global platform. So that's how the idea was born. So then tell us about how you actually make money. What's the business model of Seni? So we basically charge startups based on their total monthly expenses. And the lowest plan starts at $299 a month. We have a bookkeeping plan, which is for angel funded startups, full service plan, which is for seed funded, series A funded startup, and then a professional plan for high growth startups. So, and, and, and how much capital have you guys raised to date for this? We have rose close to, uh, raised close to 48 million. And I understand that you were even given your first tranche of money without even a website. So, Neil, what's <laughs> going on? What's going on? I mean, is it now because you and your brother now, uh, now that this is your third company, is like investors feel that now the money is truly going to the execution, not to the education, and that the, now you just it just feels like they're just throwing the money at your face. I mean, does it feel like that compared to your first company? Yeah, I think it's definitely easier. I would say way more easier to raise money when you have done it before. And uh, with Zenny, it was uh, pretty easy for us and kind of a no-brainer for our investors as well because we actually have the same investors, the 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 VC fund called Sama Capital that led our series around, co-led our series around with American Express, actually led our series around at Zenny. So they knew us for the last several years. They have seen us execute. They know the entire team. The same team that built Mezzi is now building Zenny. So from so the, the risk is drastically reduced. Like you know the entire team. You know that they have built these AI-powered platforms. You know the founders really well. And we not only didn't have a website, we didn't have a product. We didn't have any customers. And there were zero full-time people in the company. We just had an idea discussed with the investors. And we were like, let's do it. That's incredible. I mean, even even your latest round, it took like 10 days to race. I mean, it's uh, unbelievable. You don't, you, you don't even see that in the movies. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We, yeah, we, we, we are uh, super lucky to have very credible investors backing us, uh, surrounding us, and, and helping us, guiding us. Even the latest round was led by Elevation Capital. Ravi, who is the the key partner who led the round is very close to our current investors, Ashley Lani and Amit Singhal. They have worked with each other for years. And Ravi had seen our uh, journey in our previous startups. And he deeply, he has deep conviction about what we are building at, at Zenny. So it was kind of pretty easy for us to make that decision both ways and, and quickly wrap up the round. And obviously at this point, you know, in, in time and in life, you know, for you and your brother, I mean, you guys have, you know, made quite a bit of money on, on, the, last, on the last transaction. So why, why did you want to raise money from outside investors? Yeah, so initially, I mean, uh, we ourselves, by the way, in the first round, we ourselves put in like $2 million of our own money because we wanted to have major skin in the game. But you raise money from investors, not just because you need money, but because you want amazing partners working with you every single day, giving you their expertise, extending your network with their network, help you hire, add more credibility to your company. I think there are so many advantages of working with the right partner. And everything goes great if, if things are going amazing for you as a startup. But it is really uh, the days when things are not going good. That is when you need these pillars of strength surrounding you and, and helping you make the right decisions. So in this case for Seni, how big is the team today? I mean, how, how many of you? We are close to 70 people now. 
That's incredible. And I mean, now I'm sure that you've learned a bit about building teams. So, so I don't know. I mean, as, as, as you're building, you know, and, and you're hiring the first 100 people, you know, even the first 10, you know, they're really going to be making the culture of the business. So I guess, yep. what, what do you look for, you know, in people? The top three things I would say we look for is cultural fit, mindset, and third is your skill set. Cultural fit is important because the, the personality goes a long way. Are you someone who is, who is uh, extremely open, extremely transparent, who loves to take risk, who loves to take ownership? Because with ownership uh, also comes a lot of risk. When you're hiring your initial set of people at a startup, then you give them so much responsibility that if they fail, you fail. But if they succeed, then sky's the limit. So I think you need people with, with that particular uh, mindset as well. That's why I say that mindset is the second uh, important thing. Like, do you have that mindset and the courage to work on products that are futuristic and forward-looking? Because if I explain what we are doing, say, to normal people in the in, in the finance world or the traditional world, they will say that, oh, it's very hard to solve this using artificial intelligence and machine learning. And we completely understand that this is not a two, three-year game. This is a long 10-year game. We are into this for the, for the long haul. So you really need people who can see that future believe in your vision and and keep pushing till you actually get there so then so then in this case imagine you go to sleep tonight Swapnil, and 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 you wake up in a world that is five years later i mean you obviously you've never slept like this it's a tremendous news and you wake up in a world where the vision of seni is fully realized what does that world look like so i would say that world uh, wow that would be an amazing world it would be a world where the human touch required to manage finances for startups is extremely low. Pretty much, I would say more than 90% of the things are happening automatically. They are driven by machines. You will only need to talk to a finance expert if you want to basically discuss anything strategic. Otherwise, uh, I would say we, we, would, we would have already successfully created clones of bookkeepers and accountants and controllers, like digital clones of them, tax advisors who can actually handle majority of the grunt work. And there would be billions of dollars flowing through the platform every single month. Wow. I love, I love, I love the sound of that world. Good stuff. <laughs> and, and imagine, imagine I put you in a time machine, Swabnil, and I, and I bring you back in time. And I bring you back in time to that moment where you were perhaps still working at Yahoo with your brother. And uh, you have the opportunity of sitting your younger self and then, you know, obviously the younger self of your brother. And you're able to give the two of you, the two younger selves, one piece of business advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, that advice would be, how do you build teams? Like you have to build teams top down and bottom up at the same time. When we were at Dingana, we were building the team bottoms up. And, and what happens, and, and the difference is that when you build teams top down, you quickly hire head of finance, head of uh, head of engineering, head of design, head of uh, architecture, et cetera. And then you build teams below them. And ground up approaches when you actually hire like a lot of people who are uh, individual contributors, and then they might bubble up to become managers and then play bigger and bigger roles. So if you take a bottom-up approach, that means that as founders, you have to play those multiple roles. You have to be the head of engineering, head of product, head of finance. You have to play those roles yourself. As your team matures and is becomes ready to play those roles, so I think that is one mistake that we did at Dingana, where we were spreading ourselves super thin by playing all those roles. 
And that is something we corrected at Mezi where within the first six months, we had a VP of operations and a VP of product helping us out and then building those teams. And that we amplified at Zenny within the first, I would say, a few months, we had like 10, 20 people. We have a VP of uh, business operations, a VP of engineering, a VP of communications, a VP of finance. So we have, we surrounded ourselves with several leaders. We have several senior director of finances at, at Zenny as well. So surrounding yourself with leaders and then building the team bottoms up is probably the fastest way to build a team that can help you execute 2x faster than you would otherwise do. Amazing. So Swapnil, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Just connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Amazing. All right, well, Swapnil, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for making it so exciting. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.